Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, Altamont Enterprise Editor, and I am so excited to tell you where I am this morning. I am in Altamont's living room, the Homefront Cafe, and for those of you that haven't been here, I'm going to briefly describe, we are sitting in what looks like a 1940s ice cream parlor filled with memorabilia from World War II, and right next to us is the famous picture VJ in Times Square where the sailor has caught a nurse and kissed her, and across the table from me is the iconic Cindy Pollard, who 20 years ago had this idea of making the Homefront Cafe like her mother's World War II era kitchen. And she has welcomed generations of school children here to learn from soldiers. She has honored soldiers in countless ways. So, Cindy, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, Melissa. I'm delighted. Well, I hope you will tell us how you started this. What, what made you decide to build what's become this iconic meeting place for Altamont. It was a necessity, which many people don't realize. Yes, it does look like my mother's kitchen. I had had the Cindy's Country Kitchen, if you'll remember, for five years. The restaurant business is a hard business. And when we decided to sell it, we, we, we sold it, and the people we sold it to didn't make it either, so it reverted back to us. And it was not in the same condition that it should have been. It needed a lot of repairs. And I had my thrift shop on the side where the uh, ice cream power is. So every night, Jack would come in and go back into the kitchen and fix it up. And I would work out in the living room. And I, all I want, we knew we had to put it on its feet. And I thought, well, I'm going to open this restaurant for two years, get it on its feet, and then we'll let it go again. Um, I'm just going to interject here, though, about the thrift shop. That is how I first met Cindy, and that too was a community meeting place. It was the kind of place where you could just find treasures, and I had two little girls at the time. One of them always wanted to be a princess for Halloween, and we found all the princess dresses we needed here, and the other one was an avid reader, and Cindy was the kind of shopkeeper who, she called me up one day and said, did you know that your daughter Maggie was... Uh, buying this kind of racy book. I mean, she kept track of people and cared about people. So just go ahead now. You were just had mentioned the thrift shop, so I thought I'd put that, put that thr- in. Many people still mention the thrift shop yeah. and the treasures that yeah. they, they got there. So every night, I would go over and scrub down the restaurant side, what would become the restaurant. And one night, all I wanted was a hometown restaurant. Just, I was going to call it the hometown restaurant, just a place where people and neighbors could come in and greet each other and have a cup of coffee together, just just hometown. And one night, I was kind of wallowing around in self-pity, scrubbing the bottoms of tables, and I thought, oh my goodness, this nothing matches in here. It's just like the kitchen I grew up in. And with that, I felt like my mother's go zing me and said, there was nothing wrong with the kitchen you grew up in. And there wasn't. I had always loved my mother's kitchen. Well, tell me about your mother. Where did you grow up? Where was this kitchen? I grew up in Albany. I was an uh-huh. Albany girl, married yeah. an Altamont boy. Yeah. And I've been here, it'll be 60 years this month we've been married. So it's, it's been a while. But 
Then I got thinking about my childhood in the 40s in my mother's kitchen. I got thinking about um, my uncles in the service, my father was in the service, my mother was a Rosie the Riveter working at the Port of Albany. I remembered my part as, as a child growing up and how patriotic we were and how important it was. And with that, the ideas just kept coming very quickly to me. And I also worked at the fairgrounds. Yes, and you and had, we had the done farmhouse a 40s, museum. 40, yes, the farmhouse museum. I had a 40s theme there one time. And I remembered how popular it was. Now, I'm always drawn to paper memorabilia. That's why you see so much of it beneath the tables. If I go to garage sales, thrift shops, wherever, that's where I'm drawn to. I love paper memorabilia. So just to describe to listeners, the table we're sitting at, each table has a kind of 1940s era cloth with fruit or flowers or plaids. And under a plastic cover are just amazing bits of what Cindy just called memorabilia. Like right in front of me is a war ration book. There is a picture postcard of a World War II fighter plane. Every table is filled with that. So go ahead. (laughs) So as I said, there was a lot of this. And as I started thinking about it, and I suddenly thought the home front, and I got thinking about that, and the, the ideas just came quickly. I now realize 20 years later, it was probably something that I was destined to do. And it started out small. How was it received in the community to begin with? I don't know. Some people felt that I was paying tribute to a war, and I said, no, it's not. It's We work together. That's what the home front was. And it just sort of grew, and little by little, people came in, contributed their pictures. Suddenly you'd find, oh, let me tell you this, how, how the thrift shop. I didn't know what to put on the tables. I kept thinking, what did your mother have on the table? And, of course, old tablecloths. So I ran over to the thrift shop, got all the old tablecloths, thought about the plastic on top, and, and again, it just came, the thoughts came rapidly. So after this was set up, tell me about what gave you the idea to bring school children in. And this was, as I recall, the first session. It, we were, America was not at war then, and the session that I observed had people like Ed Cowley, people from Altamont who had fought in the war, but were not war mongers. They shared very honestly with the children their own experiences of what they had gone through. And what, just tell me a little about how that came to be. And There how- was one teacher who was a customer, a fifth grade teacher, and asked if she could, uh, Gail Robinson was her name, asked if she could bring her class in. So I put together a program, I worked with Ed Cowley, got the veterans together, and I really thought about this. I wanted the, the children to feel like they were sitting with a grandparent, so I didn't want a podium-style type of thing. So I would put a veteran at each of the tables, and then when the school children came in, we had them sit around them. So it was like they were sitting with a grandparent. It worked so well, the veterans were so good. And let me tell you right now, In all the years I've been here, and all the classes we've had, I've never had one veteran be a warmonger. They never talked about the horrors of the war. They told the students about the things they did not want to talk about. And Ed Cowley was very um, brief on that. One student, a high school student at the time, wanted to know if any of them had liberated concentration camps. 
and that's something they won't talk about. And I remember Ed Cowley just said, we can't go there. We go there, we sleep it, we eat it, we smell it for six to eight months. We can't bury it. They never talk about the horrors of the war. Well, I just want to say two things here. One is to explain to people who might not know Ed Cowley, the late Ed Cowley. He's probably Altamont's most famous artist, a longtime um, professor at UAlbany and head of the art department there. But his presence is felt here. There's his stained glass on the window. And um, the other thing that I wanted to say about what Cindy's just commented on is I um, ended up talking to an elderly World War II veteran who came here and felt almost like he'd been to a psychiatrist. (laughs) Maybe that's the wrong way to describe it. But there were things that he had locked up inside um, that he had not shared about the war. And when he came here and started talking to other veterans, for him it was almost like a cathartic experience. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but just the idea that now veterans groups come here, and we have Mark Yingling on the outskirts today taking pictures of you as you're doing the podcast, and he's somebody who in recent years has gotten whole groups of veterans to come together here, and I just wonder if you could talk a little about what it does for veterans to gather and share. I think it does everything. I find that that, coupled with the honor flights to the World War II Memorial, are very healing because they do go to the World War II Memorial, and they come back, and they will say... I really was a part of something big. And I think that it, it does dawn on them. I think that the older veterans are more, more willing to talk about their experiences now than they were before. I think there was this post-traumatic stress syndrome during World War II. I don't think it's something new. I think it's probably true. It goes back to ages. Mm-hmm. That, that it it's has always a new been name, there. but it's an it, old condition. Right, an yeah. old condition. And it has to be. Um, they come to share, they, they touch each other. They put their hands on each other's shoulders. They're, um, one of the newer things, I'm jumping ahead now to one of the newer things I've done, and I'm encouraging Mark to do it. He's the gentleman we were talking about taking the pictures. Mm-hmm. Is what I call the blending of veterans. And this happened accidentally. Your newspaper, I think, took the letter and covered the story. I worked on a program with the librarian, Joe, Mm-hmm. And we were doing something on superheroes. And I said, I'd like to do something with you. This, this was the, the summer theme of the library. And he had the police department there and the fire department and the superheroes. I said, I'd like to do veterans, but I'd like to have it at the home front. And he agreed, and he said, can, you, um, can we use all the veterans, all the wars? And I thought about it, and I said, let me work something up. And I did. Um, I started with a timeline of 1938 and read a little about that time, about the war in Europe. Then we had like four or five World War II veterans who spoke, stood, introduced themselves, spoke briefly. Then another timeline went into Korea, which is really the forgotten war. Mm -hmm. Again, timeline into Vietnam, which again is the war where we learned, what did we learn from it? horrible things. We learned that you should blame the politician and not the warrior, really. Mm -hmm. And all the way up to the beginning, well, what happened at the end? A young man from Altamont who had just come home from Afghanistan and had watched a buddy uh, 
wounded or killed. I'm not, I'm not really sure what. He kind of broke his composure. Well, the um, one of the Iwo Jima vets got right up and put his arm on his shoulder to calm him. And it was like an amazing moment for everyone. And even the librarian and I felt that we had witnessed something. Because here you had two warriors, 72 years apart since they had served. And they could still feel the compassion for one another. It was quite a thing. And I want to do more of that. I want to do more of that with young people. Make them realize that they're all important. Whether it was in, in the 40s, you know, to 2017. And that was an amazing thing. And after that, they got up the veterans and they blended so well. Because most veterans, when they meet, certainly gather with their own war, their own branch of service, mm -hmm. things of this sort. Our Saturday morning breakfast that we have, like twice, twice a month, blends veterans from um, Korea and World War II. And I've talked Mark into saying I want to get some of the Vietnam veterans in here and do more of this. And he's willing to do that. I just feel it's very important to honor them all, to recognize them for their service and honor them. It is. And another thing you've done to honor veterans is you um, sponsored a very large village-wide fundraiser for the World War II monument that was built in Washington. I remember you hosted a kind of canteen over at the village oh, hall. Yes. And you did it just collected an enormous amount of money for a tiny village. And then later you hosted a reception for um, the well-known local author who actually chose the words that were inscribed on that monument. Right. And if you could just talk a little about that, that whole initiative and why that was important to the veterans and to the village, okay. I think, as well. Well, it's interesting. I was not really aware of a World War II memorial until I saw the movie Saving Private Ryan and at the end the appeal for the, um, for the memorial. So I called Washington, got some literature, and I noticed that what they were doing was they were asking for money. It was, it was a large amount, starting like at $25, going up to $1,000. I thought, gee, a lot of people don't have $25. But I felt that I could put a coin jug around the village or next to my cash register and collect coins. So I called Washington again, and they didn't particularly, they weren't particularly interested. And I finally said, you've got to remember that the basis to the Statue of Liberty was, was built because of the pennies that school children sent in. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. they, so they did. They listened, and they said, well, go ahead and try it. So they made me some sort of an official title. I, I don't remember what it was. So I got to get, went to the Pepsi-Cola company, got a lot of Pepsi bottles, decorated them up, and um, put some near my cash register, put some around the town. And then and we started collecting money that way. When we had the stage door canteen, that was a different kind of a fundraiser. That really went much better than I ever thought. I think we had a, a raffle ticket. Ned Cowley painted someone's house was the first prize and we sold raffle tickets and everything. And I kept thinking if we could make a thousand dollars to send in from Altamont it would be wonderful. Well with everything we ended up making over seventeen thousand dollars and we became one of the smallest 
towns in the country to raise that amount of money. We earned it, and I was so glad because all the way through we involved school children, kindergarten, kids opening the program with God Bless America all the way through. I love to involve kids. I love to have them touch history. I think it's, it's so important. That's a perfect ending because I was going to ask a little about, um, I remember vividly the reception you had here for Joe Persico. Yes. And if you could just tell us a little about that so that listeners know he's a very well-known author and um, he was chosen to think of the words to put on the monument and he came here to the Homefront Cafe to talk about that and to be honored. I remember that and how the veterans felt about it. About that. Yeah. Um, in fact, Ed Cowley was instrumental in that. He was a personal friend of Joe Persico. Joe Persico lived in Gilderland, and he agreed to come out. And he enjoyed it so much, he came many times as a customer after that, and we traded stories. He was um, he's quite an author, a wonderful author. Yes. And, um, yes, and he signed something for each of the veterans, and, um, and I cherish that. And out on that wall, there's also... You'll have to read it later. You probably haven't seen it. Um, A letter from a young girl who was one of the carvers for the National World War II Memorial, and she wrote me a personal note. Oh, my goodness. And we do have an original print signed and sent to us by um, Frederick St. Florian, who was the architect of the memorial, and that's on the wall out there. I don't know if you have seen that either. No, I hadn't. So we really have a lot of... A lot of history here. Yes, and what's so remarkable to me is how you are at the center of it, and everyone feels so personally connected to you. I don't know how word of this podcast got out, but I've been having people call me at the newspaper office, like sharing little things. And one is a young artist named Romara. And she just was, and her mother even, recently her painting... um, it's of veterans being welcomed in a homecoming parade is being hung um, at the Pentagon Center and they both felt personally touched by you and I don't know even what your involvement in the painting was but maybe you could tell us. I can tell you about that and you can actually see the, uh, the painting. Oh, I do see it. Yes, you see it. There's a there's someone from each branch of the service marching with confetti flying and kind of an old town background. I've known Ramara for a long time. Julie is a dear friend of mine. I met her through the thrift shop. Also, Ramara too. Um, Ramara, I believe, is an engineer that went into the art field, and she's so talented. And she sold a lot of paintings. She did primitive works and sold them in Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. And then when she came to see me, mentioned she was going to Saratoga. I said, you better start practicing on horses then. Kiddingly. <laughs> so she did, and she told me about the painting. She called me when it was in the State Military Museum. And I think that the Enterprise did yes, we a did. picture we did and a story, story on that, yes. too. Mm-hmm. And I invited her to come to Altamont at one time um, to bring the picture, and we talked about it. And then she called me again to tell me. She's come down several times to visit to tell me about the picture, and I was so excited about it that it's now in the Pentagon, this phenomenal picture, the original. 
and it's, they the built a special alcove for it with appropriate background color. And it's her mother said it's right where I think she said sixteen elevators empty out, and where there's a thousand person lunchroom. So plenty of people get to right. see and admire. And it. I think she, I think she said it was in um, a park called the Mark Center. Yeah, at it's the a, Pentagon. a building. Yes, and mm-hmm. I thought about that. Here's a a young woman. Anyway who went to the Altamont Elementary School, grew up in Altamont, and her work is in the Pentagon. And it's just a beautiful painting. She captures so many things in it, and I'm so honored to have it here. I believe I have the first or the second print, and I, and I love it. And I'm proud of her. And when Julie sent me the note saying they had both been to the Pentagon, um, I called her and I said, may I show that to Melissa? You know, she, I think she called you. Yes, she did. And then her daughter sent a picture of the two of them, mother and daughter, on their knees, varnishing the painting because um, the Pentagon officials wanted to be sure it was protected. And um, right. so there they were. It was, it was quite remarkable. Was really but what struck me and why I was asking you is, I don't know how you can maintain a personal connection, but you do, with so many people. Because people matter. I think when people come in here, I like people to feel like they're stepping back into time, into their own family time, their mother's house, their grandmother's house, their old neighborhood. It's like going back to an old neighborhood. And they seem to just relax when they come in here. And they can reminisce. And suddenly people are talking with other people at different tables. But I know one of the things I did want to tell you about that probably the home front is remembered the most for is when we had the Salute to Our Heroes Day, when we had the three Medal of Honor recipients. Oh, yes. Tell, tell us about that. That was that we're here. And I think you interviewed John Finn. I did. At John, John Finn, he stayed in my house for seven days. He, so we had his 100th birthday party here. They had birthday parties for him all over the country. He was from San Diego. He died at 101, but, and I think I mentioned to you, um, a ship has been named after him, and that ship is supposed to be, I'm not sure what the right word is in naval terms, launched or whatever, um, this July, but the USS John Finn. And it's interesting, I've never known anyone that a ship has been named after. Well, you know some very remarkable people, and just if our listeners don't know, the Medal of Honor is the highest honor that can be bestowed, and it's very rare, and I think Cindy knows all the living remaining Medal of Honor winners from World War II. Is that right? They certainly... Well, there are many. Yes. Here's Francis Curry, mm-hmm. who is still alive. He's one of five left. He lives in Selkirk. Um, it was Nicaresco who was here. There were three of them. It's very unusual to have three together, and it's yes. interesting. So we had, again, the salute to our heroes in the firehouse. And I can remember the mayor saying... Now, remember, Cindy, only 250 people can be through here in a time. Well, (laughs) it was informal. I wanted something informal. I did not want a formal dinner where people Mm -hmm. had to fork up a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So members of the PTA baked cookies, cupcakes. We... The Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts were involved. Again, I think that's important. It was a wonderful occasion. These people could go right up and shake their hands, get a signature from them. Three of them at one time is very unusual. What people don't realize is when they travel, usually the FBI travels with them as protective things. They're national heroes. Mm -hmm. But they all, all those that I have met, 
And I did meet the one from Vietnam that we had here, Roger Donlin, one time. And people were lined up around the block to meet him. They represent everyone. They feel that way. Someone just happened to see something that they had done, but they represent all of the men. It's it's an amazing thing. Um, it, people come in and still remember that. And, I'm sure and I, they do. And, and I do, too. When I realized it was quite a thing to stage. It was, uh, it was a lot of work. It was good. Um, you asked me a question now. Well, I was just wondering about some of, I asked you about how you can have this personal connection with so many people. They all feel your presence and your warmth. And it's just, um, you are making me feel great. I, well, <laughs> I think it must be personally exhausting for you, is it? No, it isn't. It isn't. As, I, as I've had some health issues that I go on, I realize it's still important for me to get down here. And even though I physically cannot do much, I love to meet the people and greet them. I love to touch them, put my hand on their shoulder. It's just important. Well, you've done that to me. I've, I still remember a hug from Cindy I got once when I was feeling down, and it stays with you. You have this, you exude this warmth. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. I, I appreciate hearing that because you're one of the people that I admire so much also. Well, it's mutual. So are there other moments that stand out for you in these 20 years? Um, maybe not the, the world-class heroes, but just a private moment here and there that really they're, matter? They're all heroes. One day, not too long ago, many classes don't come anymore because the school budgets have tightened up on their their field money. Trips, yeah. They're not they've had to shut down on field trips. And they told me I could still have the kids but I would have to pay for the bus yeah. and the driver. But the Altamont Elementary School, probably about a year ago, was going to send a class up. I had quite a few veterans here, I was going to send a class up. And they usually sit in the inside at the long table and usually many of these older veterans have to have someone drive them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how am I going to make this meaningful? How am I going to do this so these kids are going to understand that these are yesterday's heroes? And I was just trying to think. And so finally, they walked up. They were right across the street, and it dawned on me. And I ran back inside into the other room, and I said, everyone who's not a veteran, please vacate your seat right now and move someplace else. Well, they looked at me, but they did. And then the kids came in, and I had them come in and sit right next to the veterans. Oh, what a great idea. And it worked. It worked. It was just a one-on-one type of thing. And then I introduced each of the veterans. And it worked, but that's the thing. You must get them to meet them and to touch them. And even Mr. Curry, when he comes in, he's so gracious, um particularly with kids. They don't like a lot of attention, but particularly with kids, he allows me to bring kids to come over and visit him or any of them. I'm trying to think. There are so many stories of veterans. Um, I remember one story. In fact, probably when I first opened, there was a gentleman that came in. It was an emotional story. His daughter was with him. And he saw me, and it's like I'm the keeper of their story. And he said to me, he landed on Omaha Beach, and he said he was so frightened. They were all frightened. His face in the sand, he said, and he turned his face, and there was a very, uh, a dying man next to him. But the dying man was somebody he went to school with. 
who called his name out. Oh my! And he, the man, started to, to weep. He cried, and his daughter said, "You never told me this." So he settled down. He talked a little, and all I was able to say to him was, "How horrible that must be for you. It must have been for you, but think how comforting it was for the man who left, that he knew someone at the very end." And with that, I, re- I always remembered that. And they all have stories like that. Well, that story took my breath away. So I think we will end with that so people can carry that memory with them. Thank you, Cindy Pollard. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate your being here.